0: Hey, this Sabbath we are not in a series, we're just doing a standalone sermon, and I hope that you are blessed and feel um, connected to how much God values you. So let's pray and we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, as we've worshiped you through music and uh, prayer and all sorts of things, may uh, this next part of our service be something that still uplifts you, yet may we feel so close to you as you reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've noticed something for quite a while, It's funny because it's just humanity and it's what we all do. And now that I identify this for you, you'll also notice this, you're welcome. Uh, It's this, we thrive on being worst or first. Worst or first, we wear it like a badge of honor if we can be worst or first. It's like a point of pride for us to be worst or first. Uh, Let me give you some examples. Oh man, the traffic in Chicago is terrible. Oh yeah, but have you seen the traffic in Atlanta? It's so much. See, we do it. Orlando when I moved to Orlando, everybody said, Orlando traffic is the worst. I said, You've never been to Atlanta, apparently. It's the worst up there. How about this one? Oh, oh, what kind of gas mileage are you getting in your truck there? Well, oh, it's terrible. I get 15 miles per gallon. Oh, well, I have a truck and I get eleven point seven miles per gallon. It's so much. You guys seem a little dead today. Come on now, come with me. How about this one? You, you'll relate to this. It's so hot in Florida. Oh, but have you been to Phoenix, Arizona? It's like 110 degrees there without the heat index. It's so much There it is, thank you. I was up all night with my kids. They were sick and I got like five hours of sleep. Oh, well, my husband snores and I only got three hours of sleep. It's so much worse. Yeah, you got it. We, we pride ourselves on being worst. Or first, like this. Have you never ridden the Guardian of the Galaxy ride at Epcot? You've never done it? Oh, I've been there, it's amazing. Let me tell you all about it. You get in, you get strapped in, and you do the, you've, you've done this before, right? I've already been there, I've done that. Or how about this one? You don't know how to drive stick shift? Oh, I've driven stick shift for years. Let me tell you all about it. You get in, you put the clutch in, put it in gear. We do this all the time. How about this one? You've never tried the Impossible Burger? Oh, it's amazing. I've done it. Isn't it funny how we do this? We do it all the time. Worst or first, and it doesn't matter if you're worst or first, you wear it like a badge of honor. And I wonder if this is bigger than just our own self-worth and self-value that we try to identify ourselves like we have something special. Instead, could it be that when we crave to be worst or first, we are actually seeing a real life example of God's grace? If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them with me to Matthew chapter 20, where we see a parable today. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, you can follow along in the blue Blue pew Bible in front of you on page 697. You'll read the same words that I'm reading. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew's my favorite Bible author, and he records the words of Jesus in this parable, which is a made-up story with a very intentional message. And I think that we'll see a message out of this, although it may be not exactly what Jesus intended, but I think there's something in there for us for sure. Matthew chapter 20, right there in verse one, we're gonna read the first 16 verses this morning. If you found Matthew 20, say amen. Okay, sounds good, here we go. Matthew chapter 20, verse one, it says this, here's the parable, Jesus' words. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse eight says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came And each received the denarius so when those came who when sorry when those came who were hired first they expected to receive more but each one of them grumbled against the landowner those who were hired last worked only one hour they said and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day but he answered one of them i am not being unfair to you friend didn't you agree to work for a denarius Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? He says these words in verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. You've heard the story before, probably. You got this landowner, he's got a vineyard, he's got to get some work done. Maybe he's. got to trim and prune the vines. Maybe he's got to fertilize them. Maybe he's planting more vines. And so he he goes to the marketplace and he picks up some supplies and some workers. It's kind of like just the other day when I was at Home Depot, I pulled into the parking lot and I saw a man standing there with a cardboard sign and it didn't say, I'm homeless. Anything helps, God bless. Instead, it said, I need a job. I'm ready to work. He's ready for it. So the landowner goes, he picks up some supplies and he gets some workers. Now it's interesting that they have a negotiation right there. This this first group of guys and the landowner and these workers, they say, well, well, how much will you give us? How about this back and forth until they come up with a, a certain amount and they agree upon it. And so they head on home. Now this is early in the morning. We're talking six or seven in the morning. This is when the workers get the work. You get there early. If you're a day laborer, you go and you get there and they, they agree upon the wage up front a denarius. Now, when I think of a denarius, it makes no sense at all to me because we deal with plastic. We deal with Venmo and Cash App and Zelle. We deal with PayPal, but never a denarius. I don't even know what that is. I mean, I don't even have cash anymore. Like, it, like you don't ever hear somebody bust out a $100 bill and they say, can you break this into a 20? Like nobody has money. I, I, do you guys have money? You, you should have put it in the offering plate when it went by jingle jingle put it in the plate i'm just i'm just playing with you but a denarius it's very specific in fact here's what they look like if you're wondering there's the front and the back of it and no matter inflation up and down a denarius was one day's wage for unskilled day labor it's just that was the average pay that's what you would get now i don't know what your day's wage looks like some of you you, you are the, that in the socioeconomic status where you're at Home Depot with a sign that says, I need work. Some of you, you teachers uh, at Fleece or, or FLA or OJA, you've given up wealth and prosperity and exchanged it for investing in the lives of young people as you disciple them. And you've given up on the wealth in order to build kingdom wealth. Others of you, your day wage is more than I get in a whole year. Let's be honest, it happens. Elon Musk is one of the most wealthiest people in the world. In fact, he goes back and forth with a few others, this this mogul, this uh, incredibly wealthy man from Tesla and SpaceX, you see his rockets going up all the time. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, according to Wikipedia, here it is on the screen for you, Right now, he's number two in the world with a measly $180 billion of net worth. Uh, he's, he's got a little ways to go to connect, catch up to that next guy and Jeff Bezos is weak sauce over there with $114 billion. What a poor guy. <laughs> Elon Musk, his annual salary is about $8 billion, which means that his weekly paycheck, w- weekly paycheck is about $260 million which means that he makes about $37 million a day, which means that every hour he makes about a million and a half dollars, which means that every minute he makes about $25,000, which means that here it is on the screen, Elon Musk makes $416 every second Which also means that if Elon Musk is walking down the street and then he's dictating an email to his secretary and he sees a $100 bill on the ground, he will lose money if he bends down and picks it up and takes three or four seconds to get it into his wallet. (laughs) Talk about a day's wage. And these guys here in the Bible, the landowner, the, the day laborers, they negotiate on a price and they come up with a denarius and they say that's the fair day's labor wage. And they all agree about it, or agree on it and they get in the pickup and they head on home. Later on, the, the landowner goes back to Home Depot. He gets more supplies and he sees some other workers there. And he says, hey, I need some help. You want to help me? Uh, they say, sure. They don't negotiate price anymore because they're late to the party. They're late to the game. They didn't show up at six or seven in the morning. They got up late. They slept in. Yet they still want to work, they'll just work for whatever it takes. They're grateful for whatever it is. The day goes on, the guy goes back, he goes to Ace Hardware this time, then over to Lowe's, he finds some more workers. They, they all load up in his blue Chevy pickup truck and they head back. Um, and finally, at the end of the day, everybody's tired, they're dehydrated, they're ready to get paid, and the, the landowner says to the foreman, you line them up and let's pay these guys. Now, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Some of you know uh, this kind of thing. You've helped pastors or maybe you grew up as pastor kids as well. And oftentimes you, you move around. Uh, now, where I grew up was in Georgia Cumberland Conference and Georgia Cumberland used to have their own moving service. They had a semi-truck with several trailers and uh, Les Lockridge was the, the guy that was the mover. He was a great guy. He was very ornery, but he knew what he wanted He knew how to pack that trailer and how to unpack it. And so I learned to get along with him because it happened all the time. Whether we moved or teachers moved, uh, I got to help him all the time. Now at the end of the day, he would come to the back of the trailer and he would say, make a line here. So we'd all line up and he would pull his bank bag out of the cab of his truck and he'd unzip that thing and he he would pull this huge wad of cash and he would say, okay, you started at 7.30 this morning and you worked this many hours. And he'd just start snapping out these $10 bills, one at a time, $10, $20, $30. And he'd hand me this, this wad of cash for however many hours I worked. And it was wonderful. I loved it as a young kid making money. And this is how I imagine this scene as these, these day laborers, they're lined up, they're ready to get their money. But the landlord, the landowner says, I want you to line them up in the reverse order that they got here. I want you to start with the last guy. You know, the one that was the slowest to get to Home Depot. You know, the one that had issues and probably wasn't going to even work that day. The one that isn't on the ball. The one that doesn't have any drive in life. That isn't going anywhere. I want you to start with the least deserving of the wage. The worst. I want you to put them first. The foreman starts peeling off these $10 bills or or in a less dramatic way, he pulls his bank bag out, this jingling because he's got the denarii in there and he he takes one and he gives it to the guy that only worked an hour, he leaves. The next guy who's worked two or three hours, he pulls one out and he gives it to him, same wage, he moves on. The next guy's worked four or five hours, he gives in the same thing and they move on until they get to the, the first guy that showed up. You know, the one that has their act together. The one that showed up at the marketplace before anybody else was there because they wanted to work the one that had the opportunity to negotiate price, the first was last. And the foreman hands him his full wage, the wage they've already agreed on from the very get-go, and it's not good enough. In the eyes of the workers, this isn't fair. He worked all day long. The guy that worked hardly all got the same amount. And, and I wonder, in this conversation of this not fairness, this unfairness, I wonder, is this how we sometimes view God's grace? See, in this room right now, there are pews full of people from different stories, with different journeys, with different situations, with a whole different stories right here. There's people that are close to God, and there's people that have never felt close to God here. There are people that have a rich, connected, thriving relationship with Jesus, and there are those that don't even wanna say his name. There are those here that read your Bibles daily and have a healthy, thriving prayer life, and there are those that don't even know where your Bible is. There are those here this morning that are tithe givers and church budget givers and freedom campaign givers, and there are those here this morning that don't know what tithe is and you wouldn't wanna give anyway even if you did. There are those that serve in all sorts of ministries here in this church and outside the church. You're connected into the community. You just want to serve. And there are those here this morning that would never serve because your time is your time and it's for you only. There are those here this morning that came to worship God and give him your best. And there are those that came this morning because you came for a blessing and a Jesus fix to get you to the next week. There are those here this morning whose life reflects Jesus in all that you do and say, and there are those here this morning whose lives are an embarrassment to Christianity. And why is it that we look at somebody else and we wonder how God can bless them? We say, look at their life, God, how can you bless them? They are so unworthy, they don't deserve it. That's not fair. When I graduated from GCA, Georgia Carmelon Academy, I spent the summer as a literature evangelist. And if you don't know what that is, an LE, you basically uh, go door to door and sell religious books. And as an introvert, that is pretty hard to do. Uh, but that, that, that summer was powerful to me because it helped me understand how to connect with people just instantaneously right on the spot to strangers. And it's also the summer that I felt my calling to ministry. Uh, we, we were stationed at this church. Here's a picture of it. It's the Atlanta Southside Church right there on the south side of Atlanta. And our our living arrangements were no good. We lived in this um, school, two rooms. It was behind the church. It was pretty awful. One room was for the guys. You had 25 dudes that you didn't know sleeping on air mattresses. My air mattress was always deflated in the night. The girls had their room. We had this, this sketchy, janky bathroom, like shower on cinder blocks in the janitor's closet. It was sketchy stuff. It was miserable. The food was horrible. I mean, I remember the first meal we ate there, it was burnt vegan baked spaghetti. You can taste it right now, can't you? It's gross. Let's go back to the bread and jam from the children's story, please. Ooh. You, you know, you had 20, 21 year old people that are leading these younger people, and they don't know how to cook, and so they they do their best, but it was awful. It was a tough, tough summer, and as I went into that summer, I thought, this is a summer where I really wanna grow with Jesus. I wanna know him very deeply in my life, and so I said, there's two things that I'm gonna do to, to help me know him better. Number one, I'm gonna study my Bible and pray with him every day this summer. I just wanna grow closer to him. And the other thing was, I'm gonna get all of my bad music and get rid of it. See, I had one of these babies. You ever seen one of these? Here it is, here it is on the screen. Ooh, you ever seen one of those? <laughs> Thank you, you millennials and older. For those of you that don't know what this is, Maddie, do you know what this is? You don't know. This is a disc man. One of the coolest inventions of all time. Uh, before we had MP3s, we had compact discs. Uh, and I mean, you'll know this for sure. Some of you, you had the 200, 300 CD case. You know the one, big zipper. You think your trapper keepers are cool? Check this out. Unfold this baby. You have hundreds of CDs in there with the album cover so you can look at the lyrics. Oh, stuff them full, organize them. I remember I'd go to concerts and I would take the ticket stub and put it in the CD case so you just have a, it was just beautiful. It was like history right there. And as I went to Atlanta Southside Church, I took all my Limp biscuit and my Lincoln Park and my Incubus and my, my Hoobastank and I pulled those CDs out and instead, I replaced them with Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman and DC Talk to get my mind right. But here's what happened. I'm there dedicating my life to Jesus this whole summer, wanting to grow with him, wanting him to use me in powerful ways this summer. But there's this other kid that shows up. He comes from a lousy home life. He's got a filthy mouth. He curses all the time. Almost every day, he would get in a fight with another one of the literature evangelists. This guy was ridiculous. And what killed me the most is that he was selling more books than I was. How can God bless him more than he's blessing me? I'm the guy that is committing my life to you, and yet you're blessing him more. That's not fair. And we do this all the time when it comes to God's grace too. Them, God? Have you seen what they do, God? Are you kidding me? They don't deserve it. That's not fair. And you know what, if you were one of the workers that stood in the line and you got paid the same as the guy that worked only an hour and you said that he's not fair, you'd be right. Let's put this on the screen. There's nothing fair about God's grace. It's not fair, it doesn't make sense. It's preposterous, it's outlandish, it's unreasonable, absurd, ridiculous, ludicrous, and unbelievable. It's not fair, God's not fair. In fact, one of the verses that I've recently discovered and it's made an impact on my life is found in Psalm 103 and here it is on the screen, it says this, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Can I get a hallelujah, somebody? It's ridiculous. He's not fair. He, we deserve the wages. The wages is death. You know, on the cross, the thief, one of the thieves, thieves he's hanging there and he stretches off the cross to look around Jesus to the other thief. Here, Luke records his words. Here's what he says. He says we're punished justly for we are receiving what our actions deserve yet jesus took the death for all of us and when the landowner gave the worker that only only worked one hour the full day's wage he wasn't fair he was better than fair we don't we deserve the full wages of our sin yet god's not fair and aren't you glad he's better than fair he'll take the last and the worst And he'll make them the best and the first on the west side of the sea of galilee is this tiny little ancient town called magdala i've been there some of you have too it's this little town that mary the magdalene was from her life had been a whirlwind she'd grown up in bethany which is just a stone's throw away from the nation's capital in Jerusalem. She'd been there. She'd watched the priests, the religious leaders. She's, she'd been involved as they'd shown the rituals and all the spiritual pieces. She'd worshiped and praised. She was this, in, this beautiful girl. Everything was great and, until she fell. She went from this beautiful, wonderful girl to a possessed, helpless wreck. She went from the best and the first to the last and the worst. You see, she'd been flattered and smooth talked by her supposedly trustworthy and righteous uncle, Simon the Pharisee, but his verbal manipulation turned into physical molestation. And while she hated it, she loved it too. She loved the feeling of being cared for and loved on. She loved it until sin became the controller. Both Matthew and Luke say that she was possessed by seven demons. And from Bethany, her hometown, Mary flees to this quiet little seaside town on the Sea of Galilee called Magdala. She goes somewhere where people can't tell her who she really is. She's the worst. Uh, She's the, the last. She's nobody to everybody. She's the epitome of sin. In fact, she's the accused. Mary's mind always goes back like a, like a worst case scenario on repeat as she remembers the day that it all happened. She was just in her room, her beautiful room, It was just her and her uncle when the door busts open and the people come in and they grab her by her hair and they drag her out as she grabs for a bed sheet to cover her nakedness. And they pull her out in front of everybody. Everybody can see. Everybody knows what's happening. There she is in front of everyone. And she curls up in a ball as she waits for things to be hurled at her that hurt worse than words. And she hears the noise of something scratching. Somebody writing something in the sand next to her. The crowd begins to quiet, in fact they're leaving. It gets so quiet that she opens her eyes and she looks and there's only one person left, it's Jesus. And he's there and he he helps her to her feet and with love that only a God can have in his eyes. He asks her, Mary, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. You fast forward through time with me, Jesus has already died. The separation that our sins put between him and his father crushed him. But he's risen now. It's Sunday morning. He's alive. He's ready to go back to heaven to be reunited with his father. There's nothing that can hold him back now. He's conquered death, he's conquered sin, he's conquered the grave. Everything's ready for him. Uh, The 10,000 upon 10,000 angel choir has already rehearsed. They have the song ready as soon as Jesus arrives back in heaven. They're ready. Uh, the, The guard of honor has opened the lighted path through space for Jesus to come home. The father is just waiting for him to get there. He can't wait to tell the universe, this is my son. He was dead and now he's alive. He's back. And while heaven waits, heaven is ready to party. Heaven waits They wait because at the tomb, Jesus is spending time with the worst. She's there at his feet, the same feet that she could see as he scratched in the dirt, same feet that nailed to a cross for her forgiveness. And Jesus, the first from the dead, the first son of God, the first and the last, he's there. He makes heaven wait so that he can be with the worst and the last. Jesus takes the worst and he puts her first and Jesus words to Mary I think are the most powerful words that you and I can hear today as he says my grace is sufficient for you or as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5 he says this he says where sin increased grace increased all the more may you in your unworthiness whether you're the first or the last Or you're the best or the worst may you know and accept the unfathomable love that god has for you let me pray for you heavenly father we're constantly wowed by your love for us it's honestly all we can talk about because it doesn't make sense because it's so unfair yet it feels so good god we love you and we can't wait to see you in jesus name amen